Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amo, coming to you all the way from Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana. I hope everyone is having a fantastic week, and I am super glad to be back with all of you. If you are listening for the first time, thank you so much for dropping in. Hope that you enjoy the conversation today, and please make sure that you catch our shows live every week and also on the archive at Hebrew Nation Online. If you are a frequent listener or you've listened from time to time, thank you guys so much for uh, joining us and hanging out with us. Thank you for creating a community, and uh, hopefully we pray that some of these discussions, uh, some of these things we talk about on being God's image bearers are doing just that, helping us to be more cognizant and more aware of our responsibility and and job and role as image bearers of Hashem, the one that created us, and uh, we are just excited to be able to do this together, and so I thank you uh, so much for uh, being a part and for just hanging out with us and being a part of the conversation. I hope that some of the things that we've talked about and that we do talk about help you spark thoughts in yourself uh, and wrestle with some things, and I hope that it helps you to spark conversation with others. As we say all the time, you know, the theme of this uh, this show is uh, Tzelem Elohim, the image of God, uh, and bearing that image in the world. Uh, if we believe the beginning of Genesis that he created us all in his image, it's up to us to find what part uh, of Hashem we are to express in the world, in the earth, and to do that faithfully and to do that with all righteousness and justice. And so uh, I pray that this show is just a, a part of your, you know, a part of helping you understand that. We also have uh, a really strong belief that better questions lead to better answers, and uh, so we're all about wrestling with Scripture. We don't really have it all figured out, and even the things we think we have figured out we know are subject to change at any moment, and so it's part of the fun, it's part of the journey, it's part of the excitement uh, of not having every little detail settled and every little you know T crossed and I dotted in our walk with God, but allowing there to be room for adventure and curiosity and a, and, and, and an adventurous faith, right? So uh, we just, uh, I hope and pray uh, that, you know, this is some of the stuff that we're doing is helping you and sparking some growth in you. So uh, just real quick before we get into this week's episode, remember that we are in the month of Elul. This is a time of 40 days of Teshuvah, of repentance and introspection and taking inventory in our own lives because we are preparing, first of all, for uh, the meeting of the, with, the, with the king on Yom Truah, Rosh Hashanah, and then to be judged on Yom Kippur, and then finally to have a 
a time of Sukkot where the Father dwells with us. And this is all rehearsals that we are going through because we know that at one point, this is going to all be real to us. It's going to be real, tangible here on the earth. And we want to make sure that we are prepared, that our hearts are prepared, that our minds are prepared, and that we know what the protocol is. Because, you know, with the death of the queen uh, this last week, week or week and a half, um, it's really brought a lot of these thoughts to my mind as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah. And when the, the, you know, the Messiah will come and be here with us. And then eventually, in some point in time, when the King of Kings, the Creator, will finally have his resting place again here on earth as he did uh, in the garden. So, the, you know, with all the pomp and circumstance and respect, while, you know, maybe rightfully due and all that, I don't get much into the royal stuff. So forgive my, if I, I don't mean to offend, but if I treat it flippantly, I don't mean that. I just don't understand it all. But with, with the little bit of, of, of things that I've watched and heard over the last few days, um, you know, if we have that much, if the world is that affected and we have that much uh, respect and honor for the monarchy in England and the way that things are being done, you know, through her funeral and, 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 and celebration of life and in the passing of, uh, of the crown to the king and all these different things, how much more should we be tuned in to the way that Hashem uh, wants to and deserves to be honored, treated with holiness, respect. And uh, so those are very, very important things. And just things that I, I have been on my mind lately will address in an episode, I'm sure. Uh, but for now, just remember, uh, these things are coming up. Uh, and uh, if you have registered for Sukkot with us in Louisiana, thank you. Uh, if you have not, please, please do so very quickly because we are uh, going to be running out of room <laughs> here pretty soon, which is a blessing. Uh, but please uh, make sure that you register. Let us know you're coming, when you're coming, all that good stuff. And we would very much uh, appreciate you helping us out in that way. So before we get into this week's episode, as we always do, uh, let's say a quick prayer of blessing to our Father and Creator God. Avinu Shema Shemayam, our Father in Heaven, Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King. It is with utmost humility and, 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 and just love and respect that we bless you today for this time for us to be together all across the United States, all across the world. We pray that you bless our time together through Yeshua, our Messiah. So this week we are going to be in uh, this week's Parsha, which is uh, Parsha Kitavo. And uh, there's, uh, a, as with most Parsha, there's a lot to get to. Uh, but I want to do kind of an overview and draw out a couple of things this week uh, because we are, again, approaching the end of Devarim, right? Already we're approaching the end of Deuteronomy. And once we get to the end, there will be some special readings during the uh, holiday times uh, each week. And so we'll be reading those and focusing on those. And uh, we are uh, going to be starting a, a whole new cycle again over next year. It's, it's exciting, right? It's incredible how quickly these come around. And, uh, and I know this year in our Wednesday night Bible studies that some of you are a part of, we, uh, we were able to cover a lot of the prophets, the Haftarahs, 
and this next year, I think we're going to go back into the Parsha, into the Torah. We'll see how that goes. We're doing Hebrew lessons actually right now on Wednesday nights. Uh, so it, we're, we're taking a little break from uh, the, the Parshiot uh, and doing that. And so uh, we start a new Parsha in, you know, in just a couple of months. It's, it's a new cycle. It's incredible. And, uh, and I just pray that every year that we're building, right, every year that we'll, every year we're building, we're remembering things we learned last year and adding to those and expanding those and, and making it deeper uh, and more real. And the, the main thing that I, I pray every year as we start a new Parsha is not just that we learn new stuff next year, not that we learn more, but that we actually are better implementers of what we are learning every year. Uh, it would be, you know, I, I, I just some, some years I pray that, you know, God, don't teach me anything else. You know, this year, just help me to implement what you're already taught, what you've already taught me. Cause I believe really that most of us, you know, that come from a, a church background, a Christian background, we've a faith background of some sort. In all honesty and in all truth, we know, we know enough scripture to live honorably before Hashem. We know enough of the Bible, the, the big picture stuff, right? The, the 30,000 foot stuff to, to live a, a life that would be pleasing to Hashem, that would be pleasing and fair to our brothers and sisters. We know enough of scripture in order to do that. The problem is we don't always do it. We might know it. But we don't always implement it. We don't always do it. And so my prayer is always, you know, I love learning, learning new stuff. I love that endorphin rush of learning new stuff. I love the experience of, you know, researching and coming upon something, a, a, a pearl or a gem. I love turning the diamond and seeing another facet of truth of the Torah. However, it, you know, it is also true that I, I need to do better about implementing what I do know already. And perfecting the practice, the halakha, the walking out of what we do already know. So, you know, some weeks the the parsha just is full of things, and I can't, I don't have time to study it all. I'm sure the same is, is true for you. And in some weeks, the parsha is just a reminder of things we know, and it's in that that we shouldn't get discouraged and think, well, like, why can't I find some cool connection, or why can't I uncover some shiny new nugget of truth? Maybe that's not the point. Maybe the point is to remind you of things you already know. And to encourage you to, to implement those a little bit more, to, to be more faithful to living those out to the halakha. So this week's Parsha, Kitavo, covers a lot of things. Uh, it begins with, uh, with first fruits, which we're going to talk about just a little bit. And uh, then we have eventually in chapter 27, uh, we have the blessings and cursings on Mount Eval and Mount Gerizim. And uh, that goes on for a couple of chapters. <laughs> And uh, more blessings and cursings and then admonition for disobedience, etc. And then we end in the chapter 29, just a few verses there uh, as we wrap up this Parsha. And uh, just an encouragement from Moshe as kind of a, a final and a last, last hurrah, a last, this is what I want to leave you with. And this part of Devarim is always super emotional uh, for me. It's just every time, every time I come through it, it's just always... It's always really emotional. We'll get to that, you know, maybe at the end of this this episode, but uh, maybe save that for next week or week after. We'll see. So, um, let me just read this introductory note to uh, Kitavo. This is from the Stone Humash, and you guys know I read from this often, just because I think it's uh, it's helpful to, to kind of get a summary of what we're talking about, what we're dealing with, and to see the big picture. Uh, it's easy for us as we begin to learn the Torah, we begin to study the Torah. 
it's easy for us to get in the weeds really quickly and uh, to start, you know, picking apart different mitzvot, different commandments, different things, and trying to really get them right, yeah? And, and that, can be, that can be a great thing. It is a great thing to get in depth and to learn the, the mechanics and the, and, you know, and the intricacies of all of these commandments. It's also good, though, to remember in the big picture. And, and that's what we want to do as we begin uh, this episode talking about Kitavo. So uh, this intro to this Parsha in the Stom Chumash uh, says, The Torah now gives details of a commandment that was first mentioned in Exodus 23, 19, all the way back in Shemot. After the land was conquered and allocated uh, to the tribes, farmers were to take the first ripened fruits to the temple to present them to the Kohen in a ritual that included a moving declaration of gratitude to God for his eternal role as the guide of Jewish history. The Jews' gift of his first fruits, or Bikurim, to the Kohen symbolizes that he dedicates everything he has to the service of Hashem. For a Jew to say that his every accomplishment, no matter how much sweat he has invested in it, is a gift from God, is one of the goals of creation. So this is kind of a introduction to the Bikarim and the first fruits. And um, this is uh, a term that you may be familiar with, Bikarim. And it generally, um, it is used in the non-Jewish world, in the Hebraic movements. It's generally used to refer to the waving of the barley at Pesach. Uh, and that's usually called first fruits. Uh, and it is, in a way, it is the first of the barley harvest. However, in the Jewish tradition, the bikarim, the formal bikarim, happens during Shavuot. Uh, and then another bikarim happens, there's, there's actually three bikarim in, uh, in the, the, the calendar. And one is at Pesach, one is at Shavuot, and then one is at Sukkot. Uh, and how do we know this? Well, because these are the three Shlosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage feasts, where no, where every man was commanded to come, and no, and no one could come before Hashem empty-handed. And so these are the times that you tithe generally, because not only are they uh, the the festivals prophetic, and not only are they celebrations at Beit Hamikdash in Jerusalem, and not only are they command for uh, for all the males to come, but they are also agricultural festivals. Right at Pesach, you have the again the harvesting of the barley. At Shavuot, you have things like pomegranates and all those things, and then at Sukkot, you have the wheat harvest, and you have all these you know all the other the other things. Um, and so, this is uh, what Bikarim is. So I say that so that we don't get just locked into, oh, well, Pesach is the only, is real Bikarim. That's not a thing. Uh, there are first fruits all through the year because you grow different crops through different times uh, of the year, right? So uh, we begin in verse 26, and I want to deal with this first phrase, uh, the first part of this verse, uh, actually the first verse. Um, it will be, it says in chapter 26, verse 1, it will be when you enter the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it. And then it goes on to talk about the bickering. So I want to address this uh, because I think it's important. Um, there are, there's kind of a spectrum, as you will know, as a spectrum in most areas of life, but there's a spectrum here in the non-Jewish Torah 
uh, world. And that is on, on one side, on one, I'll call it extreme, even though I don't mean to label these people as extreme. I'm just saying on one side of it, uh, people tend to take the Torah and ignore the fact that, number one, we are not Jews uh, or we are not probably natural-born Israel. Um, and number two, we are not in the land. And number three, there is no, uh, there is no Beit HaMikdash, there is no priesthood, etc. So those three things are big deals. Well, number one, we can get around it by saying, you know, well, we're spiritual Israel, which I agree, we're connected to Israel, absolutely. Um, number two and three, I'm not really sure how we get around, uh, but we, we take this stance that, well, everything the Torah says, I'm supposed to do wherever I am. And we kind of forget this phrase, when you enter the land. And it's all over the Torah, right? When you come into the land, when you enter the land, you possess it, you dwell in it, etc. And so that's kind of one side of the spectrum. All the way across on the other side are people who understand the validity and, and, you know, and are, are positive towards the Torah. They, uh, they may use the, the name pronomian, which just means, you know, pro-law as far as opposed to antinomian, which is against the law. Um, and they understand uh, this, this idea that we're not in the land. And you know what? We may be connected to the commonwealth of Israel. However, we are the nations. We, we are. Uh, maybe somewhere way back, we're, you know, we're, uh, you know, by blood connected to Israel. Uh, surely we're connected to Israel through Yeshua, through the Mashiach, but we are really of the nations, right? And we know that there are a lot of uh, of natural Israelites that were, you know, lost in the dispersion of Assyria, and you know we may be them, we may we may not, we may just be the nations. And there's more more a higher level of comfort with the idea of not being Israel and just being the nations that. Yeshua, you know, draw, drew us near to Hashem when we were not necessarily the people of God. We are not Israel, and yet Yeshua, in God's mercy and His providence, He drew us to Himself through this man named Yeshua, right? So, they, they, we tend to, on that side of the family, we tend to take these, the, the, the mitzvot as a whole, and not take them less seriously but just don't try to apply them because the, these conditions are not met. We're not in the land. There's no temple, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then you have kind of the, you know, they have groups all along the spectrum. And where, where I fall personally and where, where I'm trying to, to situate OAM and, and, you know, those of you guys that are with us is that is an understanding that, you know what, you, you may be Israel. You may be hereditary. And for some people, being linked to Israel, being a part of Israel, the Commonwealth of Israel, uh, spiritually is even more important than being a blood Israelite, which I get, I, I totally understand, and and I agree that that by coming to, uh, by being brought near to the God of Israel through Yeshua, we are partakers with Israel. We are a part of the the greater Commonwealth of what Israel is and who they were supposed to be to the nations and to the world, etc. I fully agree with that. And yet we do have this, this, this phrase that we have to contend with, that this Torah was given for Israel 
a specific people in a specific time in a specific place. And that is for these Israelites and their descendants in the land of Israel together as a united nation living, having conquered and dwelling in the nation to create a thriving city on a hill. What, what the Torah was instructive of in one level and in one sphere was that when Israel, these ex-slaves, came in to possess and dwell and settle in the land, what we need to see this as is a recreation of Gan Eden, a recreation of the garden narrative, that they are recreating the garden, the sacred space, the temple in Jerusalem, right, is, is the, the tree of life, etc. All these, all the nation of Israel, this should remind us of creating the Garden of Eden. That's what it's all about. And the reason why, why Adam and Hava were kicked out of the garden is because they broke the commandments. They, they broke Hashem's instructions. And so Hashem is teaching his people over again in the wilderness so that they can re-enter and recreate Gan Eden. And so that's what we have to keep it, what we have to keep in mind. And we realize that we are not, you know, we are not there and we are not those people. Actually, Hashem gives very specific instructions. So, you know, when you come into the land, so does that mean that these commandments cannot be done outside of the land? Well, that's a matter of debate, right? And that's a matter of contention. Does that, does that phrase qualify as these things are only to be legally done inside the land of Israel, you know, as a geographically, right? Well, tell that to the Jewish people that are scattered all over the world. You know, there's there's a there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of good argument on either side. I would say, out of precaution and out of safety and out of not wanting to cross any lines that we are not uh, we are not allowed to cross. I I try to make it very uh, clear and and remind you know anyone that listens to us here at OAM. Uh, for instance, when we celebrate a festival, when we celebrate a hag, uh, you know, a feast day, to remind ourselves that we are not actually uh, celebrating that day the way that it should be celebrated or will be celebrated when Messiah is here. Um, that we are, none of us are actually keeping the Torah as far as it is legally bound, um, as, as far as a legal document. That I hope that doesn't discourage you. That's not what I mean. I don't mean to discourage you. What The reason why I, I think it's so important for us to understand that and the reason why I want to keep that in the front of our minds is because we can, and some have, we can get very, um, very haughty and very uh, judgmental and very puffed up in that, well, we're keeping the Torah and some people who claim to follow God are not. And I think we're deceiving ourselves when we say things like that, because the truth is that we're not. <laughs> um, because, you know, if you listen to us for any amount of time, you know how I feel about the, the temple is the hub of the entire Torah. Everything in the Torah connects back to the temple. It is the hub that holds the whole nation of Israel and the Torah and Torah lifestyle together. And without it, we, we are doing our best and we have, we might have good intention, but we are not you know, we can't claim that we are legally keeping the Torah and hold that up as some kind of weapon against other people or some kind of validation that we're doing better in some way than other people are. And I think that's really important. So what are we doing, right? That's the question. 
what we are doing when we keep the feast, when we study the Torah, when we try to implement these, these mitzvot into our halakha, into our walk, what we are doing is we are practicing, we are rehearsing, we are, we are walking through this new world for some of us of Torah and realizing that this is the constitution of God's kingdom. This is the rule of law for what the, the earth will look like whenever Messiah is reigning and begins to teach all the nations about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what he will teach. This is the constitution of the kingdom. There is no other. There can be no other. The prophets reinforced it. Yeshua reinforced it. The New Testament reinforces it. This is the constitution of the kingdom. And what we want to do is familiarize ourselves with it. We want to understand its ins and outs, its ups and downs. We want to take it and turn it and spin it and tear it apart and put it back together. And we want to understand what it's like to be legally living in the kingdom, even if we can't legally fulfill all of these commandments, right? And so that's what we're, that's what our goal is. And we're seeking wisdom. And so we're going to talk some more about this Parsha on the other side of the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, folks, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bears Radio. So just to kind of recap again, uh, because I know this subject can be tough. It can be, uh, it can be a hard one, especially uh, if you are fairly new to Torah and you are you know, excited, and we all should be excited. We all should stay excited about the Torah and about what Hashem is teaching us and where He is guiding us. But we have, you know, we have to, to maintain some balance and not let our zeal get so far out in front of us uh, that we're not using wisdom. And so, again, like I said before, it's really easy to get into the weeds of these mitzvot and into the, you know, the, the intricacies and the details. And what I want to do is I want to just pull us back a little bit and, re- and remind us that while I do believe this is the constitution of the kingdom and that at one point, uh, at some point, in our future, Messiah will come and teach not only Israel, but all the nations, because the earth is Hashem's and the fullness thereof, right? Uh, Israel is not the only people that belong to Hashem. The entire earth does, not only humanity, but creation and the earth itself. And I believe that at some point, this will be the ruling constitution of the entire world. And so it behooves us to know it and to study it. And as I said at the end of the last segment, to gain wisdom from it. And where our hope, where our hope this leads us, our hope study of Torah, where I hope it leads us is less outwardly and picking at everybody else and trying to correct and instruct everybody else and more picking and correcting and instructing ourselves and speaking less and living more living by equal weights and measures, living by justice and mercy, living as givers, living with compassion, 
living as caretakers, those who love charity and righteousness, right? And through that, we are preparing. We Think about it like this. We are, in a sense, where Israel was in the wilderness. And these comparisons have been made over and over and over, right? Hashem told and, and, and taught Israel for 40 years in the wilderness so that when they came into the land, they would be prepared. Now, were they doing all of the things in the Torah in the wilderness? No. No, because they couldn't do every single commandment. But did they learn them? Yes. Did they study them? Yes. Did they do the ones that they could? Yes. In preparation for when they came into the land, they were already ready. And I feel like this is, uh, you know, this is what we are going through here. Uh, those of us that are, you know, that are of the nations or those of us that are, are not Jewish or not, you know, can't trace our, it doesn't matter, whatever you, if you didn't grow up Jewish and you love the Torah, that's, that's the biggest qualifier. If you're a Christian who loves the Torah or someone who was a Christian who loves the Torah, however you want to say it, uh, I got to make sure not to offend somebody because somebody can say, well, that's not how I, what, okay, I get it. Um, whatever, whatever way you, you know, you see yourself, whatever you, you identify, right? Um, whatever, wherever we are, I really think it's helpful to see ourselves as we're in the wilderness. This is our time to learn. This is our time to submit ourselves to the, to the Ruach, to the Spirit, submit ourselves to good teachers, to the, you know, to the Jewish, uh, good Jewish rabbis and scholars, and learn. Learn the kingdom. Learn the constitution. Because this is going to be, at some point, it's going to be a government, right? This is not going to be a religion. When Messiah is here for, the, for his reign, it is not going to be a religion. It is going to be a government. And that's the, I, that's the big picture thing we need to keep in our minds, right? So just to address this, you know, when you enter the land. And, and, and furthermore, I'll say this. I know, you know, I know people who go, well, like, yeah, I get the Torah and it's valid and, you know, and all of that. Um, but I'm just going to worry about, you know, loving my neighbor and loving Hashem. Great. Great. Do that with all of your heart and all of your might. Do absolutely. And if Hashem is, I've said this over and over, if Hashem is not specifically, you don't feel impressed upon and you don't feel convicted about, you know, certain mitzvot and studying the Torah and implementing it, you know, however you can into your life then by all means, please do not. Please don't. It's like, you know, in some of our backgrounds, someone who, you know, was not gifted with prophecy or whatever and, and yet was trying to prophesy. You make a mess. It's a huge mess. And if the Father is not, you know, you don't feel the weight of heaven as you study the Torah and as you're being called to study these things, don't. Because you're going to make a mess. And so, you know, some of us do, some of us don't. It, it is what it is. It's all, it's all fine. And I do not believe that I'm offending Hashem by studying the Torah, implementing what I can, most of all, gathering the wisdom and understanding that I am being prepared and we are being prepared for something that's coming later. And lastly, I'll just say this before we move on. Uh, I not need to beat this dead horse. I, not everyone's walk is my walk. And this is an important, another important thing we need to remember that, you know, at one point, will everyone fall and follow under the guidance and the submission of Messiah? I, I would like to say, I hope so, but I, you know, 
Our scriptures tell us differently, that there will be those when Yeshua is on the earth that will still reject the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the important thing is for us to walk our walk, not to be secluded and isolated, but also not to feel like we are the world's policemen. There is a group of people that have that job as the religious and the holy police. Those are called the Kohanim, and we are not them. And so our job is to be a good citizen of the kingdom and to live as we should. So... Uh, I will talk briefly about uh, this idea of first fruits and the tithe. Uh, many of you have listened before. You know and understand how I approach this and what my thoughts are on this. You're free to disagree. Uh, I have people in my own congregation that disagree. It's completely fine. But understanding that when we mix this idea of first fruits and the tithe, the tithe is tied ex- inextricably to the temple. The tithe, the capital T tithe, right? The 10% is tied specifically to the temple. No temple, no tithe. Just like, just like, no temple, no offerings. Same thing. Yes, you have the Abraham Melchizedek thing. Absolutely. If you want to give 10%, please, by all means, give 10%. That is your tithe. I would say your little t tithe. That's your tithe. A, a tithe just means 10%. And again, not to hurt anybody's feelings or, or, or have any kind of comeuppance, but th- this is where this comes. The reason why I approach it like this is because I've spent my whole life being preached to about the tithe, capital T tithe, and quote unquote, men of God, learned men of scripture telling me that I did, if I didn't capital T tithe, that my finances would be cursed and that God's call on my life would be cursed and that I would be poor and then all this other stuff. And the fact is that that tie that they're talking about is, is, and they will do, they will teach that and preach that their entire ministry and never once mention the temple. And I've seen single mothers and elderly folks and those that are just down on their luck, down, you know, without a job for a time or whatever, pay their last two good nickels to the preacher, to the church, in in the guise of it being the tithe, the magical, mythical, God's going to bless, bless your socks off tithe. And those people, I've seen them lose their vehicles. I've seen the electricity cut off. Now, I also have seen people tithe and their finances are blessed. They have, they give their last and they have more than what they expected, both ends. What I'm saying is that this is not a magic formula. This is a principle that whether you want to give 10%, 15%, 30%, 2%, will bless you in accordance to your giving. And as we read this next part, I want to show you why I take that approach. It doesn't have to be to a church or to a ministry. Let's read verse 5. Well, let's just read from verse 2. The the inheritance, the land and possess it, we read that. Verse 2, that you shall take of the first of every fruit of the ground that you bring in uh, in from your land that Hashem your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that Hashem your God will choose to make his name rest there. That is Jerusalem. Verse 3, you shall come to whoever will be the Kohen in those days, and you shall say to him, I declare today to Hashem your God that I have come to the land that Hashem swore to our forefathers to give us. 
the Kohen shall take the basket from your hand and lay it before the altar of Hashem, your God. Then you shall call out and say before Hashem, your God, an Armenian tried to destroy my forefather. Now, some of your translation will say an Ar- a wandering Armenian was my father or my forefather. Bad translation. An Armenian, who's the Armenian? It's Laban, Levan, tried to kill my forefather, Yaakov. He descended to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, strong, and numerous. The Egyptians, Egyptians mistreated us and afflicted us and placed hard work upon us. Then we cried out to Hashem, the God of our forefathers, and Hashem heard our voice and saw our affliction and travail and our oppression. And Hashem took us out of Egypt with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, with great awesomeness and signs and with wonders. He brought us to this place. He gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruit of the ground that you have given me, O Hashem. And you shall lay it before Hashem your God, and you shall prostrate yourself before Hashem your God. Verse 11, you shall rejoice with all the goodness that Hashem has given, Hashem has given you, and you and your household, you, the Levite, and the proselyte who is in your midst. So this incredible, passionate, heartfelt, tear-jerking almost confession that this first fruit is, this bikarim is a, a sign and a thanksgiving offering because Avraham had the promise, who passed it down to Yitzhak, who passed it down to Yaakov, the last great patriarch, who was all, and the, the promise, the covenant, the promise was almost cut short because of a, an Armenian, Levan, Laban. And yet through Hashem's mercy and providence, he preserved Jacob and his family down in Egypt. And they, and they, and someone else then tried to cut them off, the Egyptians. And yet Hashem rescued them again and brought them to the very land that he had promised their forefathers. And the fruit that grows from this ground is a sign. It's a symbol of the covenant that Hashem was powerful enough and, and awesome enough and mighty enough to preserve in spite of outside uh, adversity and inside adversity. And this bikarim is a physical, it's a physical sign that Hashem has preserved us and given us the land that he promised to our forefathers. Verse 12 says, when you finish tithing every tithe of your produce in the third year, in the third year of the tithe, you they'll give to, uh, uh, give the tithe, excuse me, you shall give to the Levite, the proselyte, the orphan and the widow, and they shall eat in your cities and be satisfied. Then you shall say before Hashem your God, I have removed the holy things from the house and I have given it to the Levite, the proselyte, the the orphan and the widow according to the commandment you have commanded me. I have not transgressed in any of your commandments and I have not forgotten. And it goes on, this declaration. I said earlier that your, your tither, your giving, is not only relegated to your fellowship, your church, whatever whatever gathering you you are a part of. Certainly not to a man or woman of God, and I'm air quoting there. You can't see it <laughs> on the radio, on the, on the audio. But see this this tithe thing, this first fruits thing has been has been misunderstood in a lot of ways. I tell our congregation all the time, and if you're a part of OAM that you're listening, I want to just remind you of this. 
we ask for donations. We ask for offerings at OAM. I do not ask for your tithe. Number one, because I, I am not going to be guilty of putting that pressure on you that if you don't tithe, then God's going to ruin your finances and you're not going to be blessed. I'm not doing that. Maybe it's an overcorrection from where I come from. Maybe Hashem will work it out in time. But whatever God has laid on your heart to give to support the ministry and what we're doing, the fellowship, that's between you and Hashem. And those folks that gather here locally, we have a nice building and a nice property. We have a secure, stable place to meet in every week, week in and week out on festivals. We have a place for our children to be where they can be safe. We have a place for, you know, with air conditioning in the summer and heating in the winter. We have running water. We have, you know, we have amenities. We have nice, we have a nice place. And the bottom line is, there, there may not be much super spiritual about this. The bottom line is it takes resources to keep all that stuff up. And when I thank everyone for their donations, the bottom line is you are blessed when you give. There is, there, it is spiritual, absolutely. But it's not only spiritual. It's both. It's spiritual and practical. Because if you want a building to sit in, you need to give money. That's just the way it goes. Number two, for those online, those that listen to Image Bears Radio, etc. We, you know, I, I, I encourage people online to give. You're not here enjoying the facility and the, you know, the air conditioning and the, you know, whatever. And the food afterwards and all that. You're not doing that. But, as most of you know, it takes money and resources and time and effort to create a live stream and to put that out there and to make sure that it's, you know, good quality or as good as we can do. That takes resources. And so if you get something from our live stream, then donate something. If you get something from Image Bearers Radio, donate something. You know, the folks at Hebrew Nation who host all these wonderful teachers and music programs and all these different things you find at Hebrew Nation, that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just fall from the sky. That takes resources. This is giving to make the, the kingdom operate. And this is, this is part of it. The things that were given to the temple were spiritual, certainly, and a connection point between you and Hashem. They were not buying God off so they would bless you. They were evidence of what God has done in your life. And that holds true today. It also made the temple function and operate where there would be food there for the needy and, and for the priest and those serving, and, and there, would be, there would be food there and there would be money there that would be available for, for the, the temple operation. So there is, a, there is a very practical side to all of this. What I don't want to ever, ever do or be guilty of doing is, is masquerading the practical as spiritual and putting people, manipulating people in order to give. The bottom line is, if you meet here with us, and you enjoy a nice, a nice place to meet, a secure place to meet, you need to support it. It comes from our giving. And yes, my wife and I are a part of that as well. If you enjoy our live streams, and many of you do, if you enjoy being with us on live streams, give something. You know, we're in this time in our, our society, and I do it, I'm guilty of it, and I, I try to be really cognizant of it. Not that I always am. But we have this thing called the internet. 
and a lot of stuff is free on the internet. And we've we no matter how old you are, there's a good chance that you've gotten so used to just well, I'll just Google it. If you need information, if you need well, I'll just Google it. If you need a, a video, a tutorial on how to do something, fix an appliance or something on your car or how to cook a meal or how to, you know, whatever, oh, I'll just Google it. Knowledge that used to be charged for, that used to be a fee, an expert that had spent time and their own money and their own sacrifice to learn certain things, you used to pay them, right, for their expertise and their, their experience and their knowledge. Now you get a lot of that stuff for free online. And there's some junk stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff as well. And that goes for all areas, not just appliances and recipes. It goes for scriptural stuff as well. And what we do then is we, we jump on this ministry's live stream and we watch them for a little while. And we go, oh, the music's not, doesn't sound good. We jump on this and go, oh, the lighting's bad. We jump on this one and go, well, they don't have words in the bottom of the screen for follow along. We ju- and we jump back and forth sometimes and we forget that there are ministers teaching and preaching, pastors, you know, men and women that are up there preaching that have sacrificed their, their, you know, their well-being, their family, their resources, all this stuff. And, and, and we forget, we treat it flippantly sometimes. And we're so, e- it was so eager and it's so easy to judge and go, oh, like that, no, this quality is not good, that, I don't agree with what they're saying, I don't, you know, whatever. And we forget that they are providing a service that has cost them something. And, you know, we've talked about our internet struggles out here. Um, you know, we're paying for two different internet services right now, each, each to the tune of initial investment of about three grand, $2,500. And then every month, about $150 a piece. And that's because we are trying to keep providing, you know, teaching and, and experience and connection to people that, that don't have connection otherwise, uh, you know, otherwise. That money doesn't just fall from heaven, guys. That money doesn't just grow on trees. You know that. And so this I this idea of you know of giving, again, and I know this sounds like a pressure thing. It's not. This is just the meat and potatoes. This is the rubber meets the road and the facts of where we are today, and how I believe is a more healthy way of treating the idea of giving. And I've talked a lot about the practical. Let me just say this about the spiritual. That this bikarim, these first fruits, this tithe, it is intended to connect you back to Hashem because of, and it is evidence of something that Hashem gave to you. Now, in here, it's fruit. And why is it fruit and grain and produce? Because it is directly connected to the promise of land. Understand that. The tithe, the bikarim, is directly connected to the promise, the covenantal promise of land that was threatened over and over and almost cut off and almost almost negated over and over and yet Hashem in his in his providence and his power and omnipotence and his his righteousness his faithfulness still allowed the covenant to stand and the promise to come to fruition and my question is what is your giving a sign of what is your giving connected to for me, when we give to somewhere, you know, again, the, the passage says, you know, in, in verses 12 and on, when the confession, they make the confession of the tithe, it says, give to the Levite, the proselyte, the orphan and the widow. When we give, 
Sometimes it's to other ministries, other fellowships, other organizations. Sometimes it's in the land of Israel. Many times, and I would say probably the majority of the time, it's to a single mom in the grocery line. It's to a soldier in the grocery line. It's to, you know, someone with a flat tire. It's, it's, that's the majority of, of, of our giving. Maybe not the majority, but that's a very large portion of our giving. Because that is service, that is giving to Hashem as well. This idea that the, the holy tithe has to be given in a church, in a ministry, is, is I don't think that's a balanced and correct approach. We're not building churches. We're not building fellowships. We're not building ministries. We're maintaining those things and growing those things maybe through our giving. But the ultimate goal is to be building the kingdom, building the service of Hashem. And how much more is it that we give our money to an organization that can feed people or I just give it to somebody that I can feed, right? And when we give to someone who, who is struggling with to eat, it is a sign for us that, you know, at one point in our, in, in my wife and I's married lives and Heather and I's married life, we celebrated 20 years last month. At one point in several points in our lives, we almost didn't have money to eat. We had to rely on other people. And so when we are able to give in the name of Hashem, it's a sign. That money is a sign to us. That giving is a sign to us of where Hashem has brought us from and what he's been faithful to do. When we pay for somebody's rent or when we, you know, all, and I'm not trying to brag about what we do. I'm just giving you examples. I think everybody should be doing this. It's a sign that we once almost were cut off and yet Hashem was merciful and faithful. And so the first fruit, the bikurim, however you want to think about it, I pray that you think about it in terms of building the kingdom and not building a ministry or an organization. Be free, be liberal with your giving. Because that is the zedekah, the charity that Hashem requires. I love you all. I pray you have a rest of a great week. And until next week, shalom, shalom.